It's great to be here again, and uh, we've enjoyed getting to know some of you and to be able to share a little bit of fellowship and a little bit of swallowship. It's always nice too. <clears throat> really is a, a treat for us. <clears throat> of course, there's always that extra challenge when you eat a meal before you hear a message, right? You don't want to be nodding off, uh, <clears throat> especially if the preacher's long. Um, we'll try not to to do that. I was telling the folks up at Boca that you guys were very generous to me with the clock uh, on Sunday. And uh, so they haven't told me what time I'm supposed to quit tonight. Uh, it's always dangerous. You know, it reminds me of a preacher down in Guatemala. And he was uh, a guy who liked to always preach overtime, overtime, overtime. And he'd always... Uh, like there, there's two seasons, the dry season and the rainy season. And in the rainy season, every day, almost without fail, it'd cloud over around noon and then just pour for several hours. It's just the way it is. So he thought if I could just stretch my message out and it starts pouring, nobody's going to want to go home anyways, right? So <clears throat> that's what he'd try and do. And this one time he's preaching away and sure enough, rolls around to noon Thunder and lightning starts pouring. So he's like, no, there's no rush now. Nobody wants to go out. So about then, there was a bunch of frogs came into the meeting. And there's a whole bunch of frogs started hopping in to the meeting. And he thought, well, this is great. Maybe I could, maybe, might even be able to work them into my message, you know, get more out of it. He says, I wonder what these frogs have to say to us. And the guy at the back, he just had enough. He just had enough. And he said, yeah. They do have something to say to us. The same thing that Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> so hopefully we don't have any danger of frogs coming in the meeting tonight. But we want to try and do two things. Uh, share a little devotion from the word. And then we would like to share a report with you on the work of the Lord in Cuba, at least in one area that we've been visiting. So we'll try and do those two things. And... I'll try and keep my eye on the clock. You don't have to. You can look at your watch if you need to. Just don't start tapping it, okay? So let's go to Philippians. Um, if you have your Bible, to the book of Philippians. And what I thought we would do is uh, try and tie in a little bit with what we were looking at on Sunday. So what I'd like to do is Just read a couple of verses from chapter 1 to kind of bridge over from Sunday. Philippians chapter 1. And then our main text will be in chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. You'll notice that there are three parts there to the assembly, at least three groups that are mentioned. They're all the saints. There's one. And then bishops, that would be overseers, elders, shepherds. It's all the same uh, office, although it's not really an office, is it? It's more of a work. But uh, there's bishops and then deacons, the servants. So that's an assembly, really. Saints, bishops, and deacons. 
And we saw a little bit from Acts chapter 16 how those first people got to be saints and formed a little meeting there in Philippi. So here now Paul is writing to them. So he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. And you'll notice that little word joy is a word that is all through the book. And he uses five different words 17 times in the book of Philippians. Joy, rejoice. It's not the theme, but it's the music that is played throughout. It's like sunshine that's all over it. Joy, rejoice. We need that, don't we? Now let's go to chapter 4 for the main uh, text. And uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. There it is again. Joy. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. <clears throat> Philippians is just a wonderful little letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing from prison. And it's probably the most personable letter that uh, you have from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He's um, enjoying this correspondence with the Philippians. They've been very generous to him. He says they've actually outgiven all of the other people that he can think of. And really, Philippians is kind of a thank you letter. He's writing to thank them. Um, there isn't some great doctrinal error that he has to correct, like in Corinthians or Galatians, or some great truth like justification in Romans. But uh, it's just a, a beautiful little letter of, of encouragement, and it's full of joy. As I mentioned, um, uh, joy isn't the theme, uh, but Christ is the theme. And that's where true joy is found. Amen. And all through this book, you see Christ exalted in chapter one. He's our life. In chapter two, he's our example. In chapter three, he's our goal. And in chapter four here, he's our power. We get that from verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Christ is the theme. And uh that's where we find true joy. Those people in, in Acts chapter 16, you remember the, the Asian businesswoman named Lydia, the, the Greek anonymous slave girl possessed with a, with a spirit, and the, the Roman jailer. These were all people that, that were looking for something. They didn't have joy in their lives, but then they got saved. And we looked at, we thought about the gospel that brings that joy. And, and they all got saved, and, and they became... Really, the beginning, the, the very beginning of the, the saints in, in Philippi. 
And uh, Paul is writing to them to encourage them and to thank them. And he talks about joy. And you, you find uh, joy all through this letter. But one thing that we see in this letter and also in life is that there's things that can rob you of your joy. So there's four joy robbers in this letter. Okay? Four joy robbers. In chapter 1, it's circumstances. You remember Paul is writing from prison. And he's, he's writing really to reassure them, look, I'm in prison, but I'm rejoicing because the gospel is being preached. And so he's, he's in prison. And you would think that, you know, uh, being in jail would, would be dark and depressing. And it is in many ways. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. He says, for me, I'm rejoicing. Because I'm, I've got a captive audience. I'm chained to a Roman uh, guard and I'm sharing the gospel with him. And then he's getting saved and he's going throughout all, the, 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 all of Caesar's household even. So he's rejoicing because he's not, his joy is not connected to circumstances. That's happiness. Happiness is like this, right? And it's connected to what happens, right? You can have it one moment and it's gone the next. But true Christian joy is independent of circumstances. You can be on a sickbed in the hospital and have true joy. I've seen it. I know it. In chapter 2, the joy robber is people. Now, I should mention the key verse in chapter 1 is verse 21. For me to live is Christ. In chapter 2, the key verse is verse 5, where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about one of, one of the great Christological passages in the New Testament of how Christ uh, laid aside his glory and was incarnated as a man, not just as a man, but he, 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 became, uh, he humbled himself and became uh, a servant. And then his obedience led to a, a cross. And so there we have the mind of Christ. The joy robber in Philippians 2, get this, is people. (laughs) We mentioned that there wasn't some great doctrinal error that Paul was trying to correct in Philippians, but there was an undercurrent of strife. So in chapter 4, he mentions these two sisters, and he says, Odious and Sintichi. He says he urges them to be of one mind in the Lord, because they're not getting along for whatever. He doesn't say why, but it it was a problem and enough for him to address uh, publicly. And so he urges them to, to, for unity, Christian unity. And in chapter 2, he says, I want you to esteem others better than yourselves. You know how to spell joy? You remember how to spell joy, right? J-O-Y. That stands for Jesus, others, and then you. That's Philippians chapter 2. Esteem others better than yourself. So if you have the mind of Christ... And you put Christ first and then others, that strife will disappear because you will be taking the mind of Christ as your attitude in your service. So in chapter two, it's people. People can rob you of your joy. I mean, it happens, right? And that's one of the greatest challenges of of being a, a local church is that we're a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different personalities. And we sometimes have a hard time getting along and it can rob us of our joy just like that. Someone has once said, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's another story. (laughs) And it's true. 
So that's the the uh, uh, robber of our joy in chapter two is people. Now, in chapter three, there's a word he uses again and again and again, and it's the little word things. Things can rob us of our joy. And with Paul, it wasn't necessarily material things, but they were things that were valuable to him in his life before meeting Christ. Reputation, education, all of the the things that the world holds dear. And he says, he put them in a scale and he says, okay, I got all these things and then I have Christ. And he says, you know what? This side is all garbage for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And so things can rob you of your joy. And um, chapter four that we're going to look at in this passage, the joy robber is worry is worry. And this is probably the robber that's most, not that you welcome in your life and your home, but he's probably, you're, you're familiar with him the most, is worry. We all worry, right? We worry about the future. We worry about the past. We worry about our friends. We worry about our, our family, our health, our finances, our in-laws, outlaws, you name it. We worry about it, right? And so what is the, what is the antidote to worry? Well, here it is prayer. But it's more than that. It is the secure mind. We read here that when we pray, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So really, in this letter, you you not only have joy as the theme and the things that can rob you of your joy, but you also have the mind. He emphasizes your mind. So in chapter one, it's the single mind for me to live as Christ. In chapter 2, it's the submissive mind, the mind of Christ. In chapter 3, it's the spiritual mind. Although he gives it kind of in the opposite, in, in around verse 20, 21, he talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ who mind earthly things. And so the opposite of that is the way the Apostle Paul approached life. And he says that he's in a race and he's forgotten everything behind and he's reaching forward. And Christ is his goal, and he just puts everything else aside, and he, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the spiritual mind. Now, in chapter 4 here, it's the secure mind. It is the mind that is guarded by the peace of God as a result of prayer. So in this, this uh, chapter, I see uh, mainly three things, maybe four. First of all, prayer, and then peace. Wonderful thing to have the peace of God. And then power, we mentioned in verse 13. And we could also add in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? That's provision. That's like a check from the bank of heaven, folks. And it's paid for with the blood of Jesus and it's got his signature on it. And it is according to, not out of. That's a fantastic verse. That's a great verse to memorize and take with you in life. So we just want to talk a bit about prayer and peace. He says here that we worry about things, but he says, I don't want you to be anxious for anything. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So the antidote to worry is prayer, folks. And. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to meet with you and to pray and to exercise that blessing that we have of prayer. Isn't it interesting how prayer is probably one of the most important things in the Christian life, but one of the most neglected? 
You know, when we first, before we came down here, we drove uh, 2,400 kilometers. I don't know how many miles it is. It's a lot. I checked my spare tire. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I checked my spare tire. Do you know what? Prayer for many Christians is like a spare tire. You only use it when you need it. Right? But actually, the Bible says pray without ceasing. It should be the air that we breathe from heaven for our soul. Pray without ceasing. I was at Awana. Do you have Awana here? The Awana Kids Club? Well, we were doing our verses there a couple of weeks ago, and a little boy, he said, pray without seasoning. <laughs> That's the way he said the verse, but um, no, pray without ceasing. So we need to pray because when we worry, it tears us apart and it robs us of our joy. The word worry is actually from an old Anglo-Saxon word. It means to strangle. And the idea is that the thoughts of our minds and the feelings of our heart go in different directions. We worry about a problem in our mind and then our heart begins to fret about it. And what it does is it literally pulls us apart and it robs us of our joy. And uh, we, we, we needn't worry because we have this blessing called prayer. And so that's the antidote. And he says that if we pray, then we will experience the peace of God. Now, you'll notice the different words here. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. So they are kind of like seasoning. They're different flavors. There's different words. The first word is the word for prayer. It's the most basic word. And it carries the idea, yes, that you're talking to God, but it's you're talking to the God of the universe who is all-powerful, almighty, good, and, and all-wise. And... You don't rush into his presence with a shopping list. It's, it's the idea that you're coming into the presence of an awesome God. And so that's, that carries the idea of prayer. And then there's different kinds. You know, um, I think about it like this. There's, there's gimme prayers, you know. Uh, there are oops prayers. Psalm 51 would be a, an example of an oops prayer, right? And... There's thank you prayers. I, I enjoy it when my kids say thank you to me sometimes. They don't have to, but it just delights your heart, doesn't it, when your children say thanks for things. We go skiing or something, and they say, hey, thanks, Dad, for taking us skiing. It's just it's awesome. And then there's wow prayers. There's prayers where you're not really asking for anything. You're just saying, Lord, you're amazing. You're awesome. And it's a wow prayer. And all of these are our blessing. Um, you know what the shortest prayer in the Bible is, right? Peter said it as he was sinking, in, on, walking on water. He said, Lord, save me. Three words. That's a gimme prayer. <laughs> Lord, I need help right now. And we can pray like that and know that God hears us. Do you pray? Do you believe in prayer? We often say that, don't we? Prayer changes things. But do we really believe it? And, you know, when, when we do pray... There's an amazing thing that happens. God's peace keeps our hearts and minds. So that we may be troubled, but when we pray, we actually receive his peace. Now it says here, we have two things. We have the peace of God in verse 7. And then look at verse 9. The God of peace. (laughs) That's maybe even a nicer blessing. Not only the peace of God, but the God of peace. It's connected with obedience. But to have the, the presence of the God of peace in your life. Um, 
But it says here that it passes understanding. The peace of God passes understanding. It means that you can't figure it out. You know, you can't study it and come up with a definition. There's, the words fail. It's kind of like, can you tell me what a watermelon tastes like? <laughs> now think about that. You might use words like juicy or sweet, but hey, a mango is juicy and sweet. You, you got, can you tell me what a, ma- what a watermelon tastes like? You can't, but you can experience it, right? And that's the way it is with the peace of God. It passes understanding. And so that when we cast our care upon the Lord, he gives us his peace. And this is an amazing thing. Jesus said in John 14, in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. So there are really two kinds of peace in the New Testament. There is peace with God and there is the peace of God. So peace with God, that's what Jesus left. He was going to the cross. And that's what he accomplished when he died for your sins and mine. He removed the, the reason for the, the enmity that existed between me and God. I was an enemy of God before Jesus Christ saved me. And he, he, he left that. When he went to the cross, he made peace by the blood of his cross. And so the Bible says in, in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it. It's a done deal. It's sealed. You receive it. You don't ever lose it. It's not dependent upon anything. Obedience or anything. It's positional peace. It's a wonderful thing. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, my peace I give unto you. So his very own peace he gives us. When we trust in him, this is a wonderful thing. And so when we are anxious, when we have worries and we it's tearing us apart, we have this blessing of being able to cast our care upon him for he cares for us. And when you wait upon the Lord, he will renew your strength. The word is exchange. So you give him your care and he gives you his peace in exchange. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that awesome? We see his peace in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Remember in Mark, they, they get into a ship and they're going to the other side. And, and by the way, at the very beginning, they shouldn't have worried because he gave them, he said, let's go to the other side. So before they ever got in the boat, they had his word that they were going to get to the other side. But they get into the boat and what happens? The Sea of Galilee boils up into this huge storm. And where's Jesus? What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep in the stern of the boat and the disciples come to him and they wake him up. Well, who wouldn't? And they say, Lord, don't you care? Look what we're going through. Don't you care? How can you sleep? Sometimes it's, you know, we think God is sleeping, but he doesn't. They said, don't you care? And then he rises up. I'm not a painter, but I tell you, if I was a painter, that's a scene I would love to paint. The, the sight of Jesus standing in that boat and saying to the winds and the waves, what does he say? Peace, be still. And it says there was a great calm. He's sleeping in the midst of a storm and then he speaks peace into the storm. The word there is the same word that he uses to cast out a demon. And I like the way G. Campbell Morgan has translated. He's translated it like this. 
Hush, be muzzled, go back to your kennel. Now, I assure you, that's not according to the Greek, but it captures the idea that some people think that behind that storm, there was a satanic force trying to sink the Lord and the disciples once for all right there in the middle of the lake. But he says, peace, be still. And there's a great calm. That's amazing. The whole lake, the whole Sea of Galilee in a moment. I can't even calm my bathtub. (laughs) Uh, And then he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you so fearful? Why is it that thoughts arise in your heart? See, there was a storm that was still raging in them. They had to trust him and they did. They said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's amazing. There's another place that we see his peace in, in Mark. It's closer to the cross and he's in an upper room. And he's just taken bread and broken it and taken wine and instituted the very first Lord's Supper. And you know what it says there? It's just a little sidelight of half a verse. But Mark includes this. It says, when they had sung a hymn, when they had sung a hymn, they went out. So apparently we have pretty good precedent for singing hymns at the Lord's Supper. I would have loved to have heard that. Now, I wouldn't have understood it because it was Aramaic. Uh, half of the disciples were, were fishermen. I don't know if they could sing. But think about this. What would it be like to hear the Lord Jesus sing? That's a lovely thought. And he's in the shadow of the cross. He says, my peace I give unto you. His very own peace he promises to give you uh, in your trouble. Amazing peace. And I think of an example of this. When we were on our way to Guatemala, and I got to look at the, my watch here. We're on our way to Guatemala for the very first time, and, and we're getting ready to go. And my wife had never flown on an airplane, so she wasn't sure about that. And she uh, had a storm in her heart. I didn't know anything about it, but it was just before we were going, and we were going to a country where there was still a civil war on. And so anyway, she didn't have any peace. She was she didn't have any peace. And so she she prayed and she said, Lord, I I need you know, I need peace. So she read in the Bible in her next uh, Bible reading Psalm 118. No, Psalm 117. It says, I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And you know what? She received 100% peace from that moment on. And ever since, she has had that peace where, and she felt bulletproof. There was times when she's driving in Guatemala City. I wish she would not have so much confidence, but she had peace. And so at that time, I was like, wow, Lord, I need a verse too. (laughs) I wasn't afraid of flying, but, you know, there was that anxiety And so my very next Bible reading, the verse that I got was, um, if I perish, I perish. (laughs) But it's a wonderful thing. When we trust the Lord, the peace of God, that's experiential. Peace with God, that's positional. It never changes. It's based upon our justification in Christ. But the peace of God is the experience of the peace of God, which is his very own peace that he shares with us. As we cast our care upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, we renew our strength 
We mount up with wings as eagles. We shall run and not be weary. We shall walk and not faint. And that's a great blessing. So prayer and peace and power. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And of course, the result is that our hearts and minds are guarded. That's a secure mind. And we need that in our world today, don't we? A mind that is protected, guarded. That's the word. It's a military word. It means to be garrisoned about like like a military guard, 24-7, the peace of God. So that's a, a few thoughts from Philippians that I trust will be a blessing for you. Now we'll go to the... Uh